0: Welcome to the Texthelp Talks podcast. We've got a host of experts covering a range of topics from education right through into the workplace. So make sure you subscribe through your preferred podcast player or streaming service so you never miss an episode. Today, you'll be hearing from me, Stuart Blair, Workplace Product Manager at Texthelp. I'm delighted to be joined by Texthelp's Chief Technology Officer, Ryan Graham. As CTO, Ryan heads up our product development, leading and directing our engineers to deliver products that help people around the globe to understand and be understood. Accessibility is at the heart of everything we do at Texthelp. And in the run-up to the 10th anniversary of the Global Accessibility Awareness Day, we wanted to catch up with Ryan and take a look at how digital accessibility has evolved over the past decade. So today, we'll be taking a look at the achievements that have been made in the digital inclusion space so far. And as well as delving into past and present, we're going to take a look at what's to come. So first off, Ryan, it's great to have you today.
1: Thanks, Stuart. Great to be here uh, talking about my favorite subject, accessibility.
0: Brilliant. We've got a a pro then. Um, Let's kick things off by starting to look at the past. So from the rise of the first computer in the 1940s, somewhere along the way came the idea of digital exclusion. Now, we want to look at that term. Its meaning has evolved significantly over the years. Simplistically, someone was digitally excluded if they didn't have a computer or access to the internet. But today, the idea of digital exclusion involves various different elements. Can you walk us through this?
1: Yeah, sure. So over the years, many terms for this have have emerged, terms like digital equity and digital participation and literacy as well. But really, in short, they're just terms used to define the barriers that exist in everyday life whenever it comes to technology. So this includes just not lack of access, but also lack of digital skills needed for today's technology. Um, and it also accounts for physical and cognitive bias, things that can affect whether someone can actually use the digital content that they've accessed, and then the success of which users can use those technology to fully participate in society.
0: I think that's a, I think that's a really good point you make at the end there, about it's actually how users can use digital technology to participate in society. Uh, realizing over this over the years has led to the rise of the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines in 1999. And these were published by the World Wide Web Consortium, W3C. There's actually some really defining moments in and around this. Can you walk us through them?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we know that in 1994, the, the W3C was founded by Sir Tim Berners Lee to oversee the continued development of the web. Um, so, then just slightly after that in 1995, they released uh, a HTML 2.0 specification, which was actually the first specification to have the image tag. So, before that, websites were pretty much all text. And that image tag came along with an alt attribute specifically for users who were unable to see um, those images to be able to have an auditory uh, text description. In around that time, there was a man named uh, Greg Vanderheiden, he was the founder of the Trace Center. Um, he realized that some of those features in that specification were actually likely to cause accessibility problems. So for example, most browsers at that time didn't actually support that alt attribute. And um, so roughly about that same year, he wrote what was considered to be the first accessibility guidelines for the web uh, in a document called Design of HTML Pages to Increase Their Accessibility to Users with Disabilities, Strategies for Today and Tomorrow, a title which obviously rolls up the tongue but a very, very important document. Um, So over the years then, the Trace Centre themselves compiled 38 accessibility guidelines around the web and formed the Unified Website Accessibility Guidelines in 1998. So at that point, they also read the guidelines as required or recommended, depending on whether they were essential to access the information on that page. And then those guidelines went on to become the foundation of the very first version of what we know today as the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines in 1999.
0: So actually, uh, it's really interesting when you look back that they started with 38 accessibility guidelines, knowing how involved we are in this space now. I'm sure you'd agree if we only have 38 things to worry about now, we'd be doing very well. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, So over the the past 22 years, WCAG, or WCAG as some people pronounce it, has has made huge impact in the the digital inclusion space. And they've evolved with new technology from version one to version two. Now we are on 2.1, and we're in the the workings of the draft or 2.2. Can you tell us what the differences have been between all of these? Yeah, absolutely.
1: So really it's been a a gradual evolution um, between those versions, all stemming really from technical discussions very much similar to to Greg's first set of guidelines, but they're now more focusing on the entire process of designing and and building accessible content from the ground up. For example, WCAG 2 recommends avoiding jargon terms, jargon words, recommending that navigation behaves consistently, uh, and more importantly, across browsers, and that user input and forms is validated. Um, I think they've also changed um, the way that Um, They look at devices and access to devices from obviously the basic websites of the 90s through the boom of the 2000s and now even into the mobile application space. Um, And one of the other big changes I think that we've seen is actually how we develop those guidelines. So ironically, now we use the Internet to discuss those changes between versions and get feedback from millions of people across the globe and into improving the guidelines.
0: I think it's a really interesting point you you make there about how guidelines are being shaped now by the internet, but also by the advances in technology and the apps and mobile. It would have been much simpler back in the day to simply have a a website and simply online desktop computer. Now even with laptops, tablets, it's all much more complex. Exactly. Okay, that was a great summary. Thanks for that, Ryan. Um, If we move from the past then into the present. So as our CTO, do you think there's a big enough emphasis on digital inclusion in web development? Do
1: yeah, I think there's a big enough emphasis? I, I certainly think attitudes are changing for the better. There, there's no doubt about that, both in terms of um, sort of corporations awareness and individual development awareness within the community as well. I, I think there's probably a lot more accountability now too, which is absolutely being helped along by by new le- legislation. Um, so in comparison, to if we look back to definitely wasn't a mainstream topic like I think it is today. Um, And that's why Joe Devon proposed this idea of a Global Awareness Accessibility Day to sort of get everybody on board and raise awareness of it. And it's brilliant to see that coming up to its 10th year now.
0: You mentioned legislation there. Obviously, we've been in this sector for a long time and we know about legislation that's come into play, particularly in the UK. Do you think there's enough enforcement of the legislation?
1: That's a really good question. Uh, um, At the present, I I don't think that there is. I think there's an awful lot more that can be done. um, and I I think as well, using these guidelines as well uh, in that legislation um, is something that they need to keep on top of in the same way as we kept on top of the the WPI guidelines themselves.
0: Yeah, completely agree. Um, There's still a lot of growth to be done in terms of how we think about digital inclusion as well. For example, back in 1999, Vint Cerf, one of the, the founders of the internet, made a speech. And in this speech, he raised several risks to digital exclusion, including cost, demand, and government restriction. But what he did say, and I think is very important, was the internet is for everyone, but it won't be if it's too complex to be used easily by everyone. And I think that's really interesting because complexity involves more than just digital skill, and it's taken the accessibility space a while to grasp that. Digital inclusion is also about whether our digital content is easily understood by everyone too. What's your thoughts on this?
1: Yeah, so I I think today digital inclusion is is really about addressing the barriers that we were talking about before. Uh, And I guess there's really, there's multiple elements involved to that. Uh, So an affordable and robust broadband internet service is key. We need to have access to the internet. And again, that goes back to Vint Cerf's speech. He specifically says that in that speech, and I think it's a really good point. Um, internet-enabled devices that meet the needs of the user, um, whether it be phones, tablets, laptops, and so on. Um, access to digital literacy training, I think, is, is, is really important. And quality technical support is, is a really important part as well. Um, There's nothing more frustrating than than facing a barrier and having nobody there to help you and having nobody there to communicate with to be able to get beyond that barrier. Uh, And then finally, applications and online content designed to enable and encourage self-sufficiency, participation and collaboration with other users as well. Um, I think an awful lot of those there are are, are often forgotten about, but together they really do form um, digital inclusion as a whole.
0: No, I completely agree, and you've, you've mentioned five or six. They're really key points. Um, do you have a running order of which one you think is most important to be addressed there, or do you think they all have equal importance?
1: Really good question. I, I say some of them have equal importance. I think the, the affordable broadband service you know is is key. And without access to the internet, you have no access to that information. And having that access to, to information should be a fundamental right for everybody and um, to be able to, to consume it, and then following on from that, being able to understand it.
0: Yeah, absolutely agree. That's true. Uh, through our own work in the industry as a company, our own evolution of thinking around digital inclusion has evolved too. Uh, we've recently merged our website accessibility toolbar into a full digital inclusion solution called ReachDeck. And it'll help organizations to tackle technical accessibility compliance, as well as readability, and the various factors that impact inclusive design. So a CTO, where do you see us going from here? So I mean, to
1: to your point, accessibility barriers can be anything. It can be physical, cognitive, uh, and there are 1 billion people who are um, labeled as disabled, and 10% of people are dyslexic. And I think really to achieve true digital inclusion, we need to do our best to meet the needs of all of those groups, not just one of those groups, all of them. Um, and that really means understanding their needs, and their expectations, and how we can provide solutions to help them uh, become self-sufficient and help them participate and collaborate. Uh, and certainly, I think recently as well, and particularly at TextHelp, we've we've changed how we think about how we develop those products. And we absolutely use this mindset ourselves whenever we're developing new products from the ground up um, and also whenever we're writing content for our website and whenever we're communicating with our customers either via social media or, or other channels. And I think we really expect and we want industries and other organizations to take that exact same approach, You know, whether they're a software company or in any other aspect of, of industry. I think we can really give the benefits to the users if we all work in that same way.
0: Yeah, some very good points there, Ryan. One thing I'll pick up on that you mentioned just at the end there is you say we fully expect all industries to take the same approach as us. What can we do better at Help to inform those industries to take that approach?
1: Well, I, I think raising awareness um, is, is the first part. You know, some, some industries are not aware that there is a problem there that needs to be solved. Um, so making sure that they understand those problems, making sure that they understand these barriers is absolutely the first step in that process. And then giving them the tools to be able to resolve that, giving them the tools to be able to identify you know, technical errors on their website, their applications, giving them tools to be able to improve the readability of their content and their written communications with not just their customers, but also their own staff and their employees as well.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. Um, That brings us nicely onto the future then. As we can see, and I think everyone knows, the accessibility space has come on leaps and bounds over the years, and it will continue to do so. Even now, first working drafts of WCAG 3.0 is underway. In your view, how will this differ from WCAG 2, and how do you think this new version will further improve on digital inclusion?
1: Good question. So unlike WKI 2.0 through 2.2, I, I think three will be a very different approach. It's basically a different way of thinking, a different set of goals and a different set of measurements. Um, and very importantly, it takes into account that even today's websites are no longer simple web pages like they were in the 90s and the early 2000s. These are these are full-blown, complex applications that people interact with on a daily basis. Um, and it recognizes that the goals of 2.2 and, and previous, they, they needed to change and the criteria had to change in order to help more users navigate these more complex websites uh, of, of the future. Um, and in particular for, for me, I think I'm very excited to see that, that version three will um, introduce parts of the offering tool accessibility guidelines, and to help both tool authors and content creators to be able to produce simple and understandable content for the web. Uh, like I said before with the readability thing, I think that is absolutely key. And really glad that's included in version three. Uh, this is a big project. It's very ambitious and it, it absolutely needs to be done. So it, it will take some time, years even, uh, to be able to finalize this, but I really have no doubt that this will have a profound impact uh, on digital inclusion.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one final thing from me then, Ryan, you mentioned right at the very start of our podcast that accessibility was your favorite topic. A lot of our listeners and their organizations will be at the very start of their accessibility journeys. What's one piece of advice you would give to an organization that was starting to look more seriously at accessibility?
1: That is a really good question. I think the one piece of advice I would give is to think about your users whenever you're developing content. Think about how they understand that content and how they read that content rather than how you write it. Uh, It's very easy to write content for yourself and content that you understand. It takes a lot of effort and it takes a lot of um, uh, self-introspection to be able to think about your users in that way, to be able to help them. And if you help them, they are going to help you help your business and help each other. And that's what we want to try and achieve.
0: Yeah. Brilliant. Well, look, I think that's all we have time for today. So thank you so much for joining us. It's been great and really informative Uh, to our listeners. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about what the future of accessibility looks like, check out the agenda for our very first Festival of Accessibility coming up on the 20th of May. Our virtual conference will see 11 organizations teaming up to deliver nine sessions all around digital inclusion and Ryan will be joined by AbilityNet and the Readability Group to talk more about the future of accessibility. You can find out more at text.help forward slash TexthelpFest21, and don't forget to subscribe to Texthelp Talks on your preferred podcast player or streaming service to catch the next episode. Thank you very much, bye.